Welcome to an episode of the podcast Art Insiders New York. My name is Anders Holst. The theme of the podcast is New York, with a focus on behind-the-scenes conversations with fascinating people who are making an impact in the world of art, design, and architecture. Gregory Wessner is the executive director of Open House New York, an organization with a mission to provide broad audiences with unparalleled access to extraordinary architecture of New York and to people who help design, build, and preserve those city structures. Open House New York just completed the 17th annual Open House New York weekend held on October 18 to the 20th. With 80,000 visitors in 283 sites and a total of 1,350 tours. In this interview, Gregory tells the inspiring story of how fostering engagement can create a deeper sense of what it means to be a New Yorker. I've been following you online and I get your, your um, newsletters and, and emails and stuff like that. And we met at the TWA. Uh, flight center. Yes. Is that the uh, official or is it TWA Hotel? Well, now the official is the TWA Hotel. Yeah. It used to be known when it was just the building, uh, the TWA, the Saarinen building, it used to be officially the TWA Flight Center at JFK. Yeah. And now it is the TWA Hotel, which also encompasses the hotel wings that were built recently. And, and we were there to celebrate the opening, which was the Sunday of Open House New York weekend. Yeah, and I was a, I came into this auditorium, I was a little bit late. There were like a thousand people mm -hmm. there. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that building really draws yes. a crowd. Yes, that building is, <clears throat> if there are celebrities in architecture, that building is a major star. Mm -hmm. um, when we, I mean, if you thought it was crowded that Sunday, the, mm -hmm. the last time we opened it for Open House New York weekend, which I, I mentioned in the opening of that panel discussion, it was 2015. And at that point it was a completely empty building. It had been slightly renovated, but it was, yeah. you know, it was basically um, an empty building showing its age and 10,000 people showed up to wow. walk through what was essentially an empty building. Wow. Um, and to me that, that said it all about the mission of Open House New York that, you know, because the question is, why would you ever go to the airport, JFK, <laughs> especially yeah. on a beautiful fall Sunday, yeah. unless you were forced to because exactly. you had to catch a flight? And the fact that 10,000 people <clears throat> showed up to walk through an empty building just says something about back to, you know, back to the, the desire to experience the city. Yeah. Um, you know, and it just proves the point that there really is nothing that substitutes for first-hand experience. Yeah. So what is it about that building that makes it so popular? Why is it, does it speak to people's fantasy about what a building could look like, or is it just an extraterrestrial <laughs> experience? What is it? I think, at it, the, first and foremost, it is an extraordinarily designed building, and it is a building that, while the photographs of it are incredible, yeah. and it is one of those buildings, and there are some buildings that it doesn't matter how you photograph it, it looks amazing, and yeah. that is definitely one of those buildings. The photographs don't capture the experience at all, and so I think people want to feel what it's like to be inside it. Yeah, you know, and I was, uh, you know, had studied art and architectural history, you know, throughout my education, my career, and. That building has probably been on you know a million exams that I've had to take, and yeah. I had only ever seen it in photograph. Yeah. And it wasn't until the first time um, when I got to Open House New York, and we had it open for Open House New York weekend, and I walked in, and it was the first time that I 
got to be in it. And I was like, oh, right. This is why this organization and this mission is so important because I've seen this, the photos, the iconic photos of this building for decades, yeah. literally. Yeah. And I have written about it in every which way, but until you're actually in the building, I was like, it's a completely different experience. Yeah. And, and in a way, it's hard to put into words because I think it touches us someplace sort of deep back in our, our brains of like, uh, it's almost like a primordial experience where your body is just activated by the space around it. Yeah. Um, and that building, it's just, you know, the, it's curvilinear. There are no straight lines anywhere in the building. Um, and it, it just, you know, it's on many different levels and it's swooping and swerving and, and it's, you know, mostly all white with these like punches of red and, you know, it's just, it's no, just I, an incredible experience that everyone yeah. feels. And so there's that, but I also think that, you know, it was a building that was shut off from people for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, TWA went out of business in 2001, the building basically shut down. Um, through 2015, mm. it was open one day a week, or one day a year, rather, um, for Open House New York Weekend from 2010 to 2015. But otherwise, it was, it was a locked building, and so people could only ever see it from the outside. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, certainly part of the motivation for all those people showing up is also this thing that they want to see, but they've been prevented from. So yeah. there, is a, there is a lot of that with Open House New York we had always had it in the back of our minds that one, once the construction was done and was ready to reopen, we would celebrate its reopening in a big way because the building had meant so much to us and it meant so much to the public. Yeah. And so in May, or sorry, in early June of this year, when it was pretty much done, it wasn't quite done, but we had a, a, a major fundraising benefit there for Open House New York that we commissioned four original pieces of music, um, classical music, mm -hmm. in partnership with uh, some friends of ours at Access Contemporary Music, mm -hmm. with the idea that back in, back in the old days, uh, you know, in the 18th, 19th century, when, when architecture was built or opened or anything sort of important, any important buildings happened, yeah. uh, somebody would commission new music to celebrate. And mm -hmm. so we wanted to to recognize the importance that that building has in the life of New York City and wanted to do it in, a, in an old school way. And so we had this idea to say, well, let's commission some new music that will celebrate it. Wow. It also exemplifies the, when architecture really touches people. You know, I mean, that building became the, the, the platform for these people's memories and their, their emotions and, and it, it brought them back to a certain time or for the people who have nothing to do with TWA, you know, it's, it can be uh, transformative mm -hmm. to, to be in a great piece of architecture. Yeah. And that's also what we're trying to do is to give people that experience. So uh, we're sitting here at Open House New York, your headquarters in New York. Such as it is, yes. Fittingly enough, there's a construction <laughs> going on outside, yes. which I'm, thinking, I'm sure you can hear. Um, so what do you do here and why is this important? So we were talking about Open House New York Weekend, and that's an event that happens once a year, one weekend a year, mid-October every year. We've been doing it now for 17 years, and that is sort of what we think of as the signature event that most people know us by. Mm -hmm. But um, we do programming year-long that fits you know, with the philosophy of Open House New York Weekend, which is to recognize that the city 
And the way we build it, design it, maintain it is one of the most important things that we do as a culture, as a community. Mm -hmm. And that the choices that we make in how we design and build and maintain it are among the most important that we have to make. And that the better informed the public is about the complexity of these decisions, hopefully it will lead to, you know, ultimately a better city, better design spaces, better design buildings. You know, when you, you say, well, why can't we build them like TWA anymore? The, the hope is that by giving people access to buildings like TWA mm -hmm. and, and many other buildings, you know, of equal caliber or, or of not equal caliber, mm -hmm. the idea is that the public, um, you know, will be better informed to, to advocate on its own behalf to say, no, we want a better city. We want, we want better buildings. We want them to be better designed, better constructed. We want you know, whether it's about preserving older buildings. And I should say that we are just not solely about preservation because there are many organizations that do incredible work about historic preservation. Mm -hmm. And that's part of, you know, we, we definitely celebrate older buildings and TWA, you know, is an example because mm -hmm. we're very much about the city as a, you know, a growing, changing organism and we need new architecture. Our needs are changing over time. And so what Open House New York is here to do is to create these conversations through access to the city and through access to people who make the city mm. about what are we doing? Mm -hmm. what, and how, do, how ultimately can we make a better future for New York City? So it's, it's basically, a, uh, I was thinking about this, uh, it's, it's democracy in, absolutely. In, uh, in the works here. That is absolutely true. And we very consciously and explicitly think about it as this is a, a you know an exercise in democracy, in participation, uh, in citizenship, you know, and one that requires you, or at least recognizes that true citizenship means you can't sit on your couch looking at your phone. Yeah, that you really need to get out. And this brings us back to the the nature of experience. Is that what we're saying is that you really actually have to be out experiencing the city to really understand it yeah. and that you know the articles you read on your your iPad or you know even the the exhibitions that you may go see all very important but that ultimately there's no substitute for being in a place in a neighborhood in a building yeah. to understand what makes it successful, or even as importantly, what makes it not successful. Yeah. Because you need to understand both. Yeah, Open House New York Weekend, mm -hmm. it's an annual event. And th there I, I understand that the, the, the key parts is visiting sites, visiting buildings, yes. more or less. So how do you go about choosing these buildings? Aren't the people that you'd like to see and they say, no, you can't come here. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. How do you deal with that? How do you put together an interesting you know, well, program here? Yeah, the first, the first lesson is to not think you have any control over anything. Mm -hmm. uh, you That's a good story. <laughs> yeah, you really, like if you are a control freak, as I learned very quickly when I arrived here, this, was, this is not the place for you or you need to change your, your personality. Because we have, you know, ultimately it feels like we have very little control over anything. So yeah, absolutely. We make these lists of like, you know, the top 100 things we would love to see. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if we get one of them, it's wonderful. Yeah. So this year, what, what was the top? Well, that's, I mean, that question gets asked a lot. It's a hard uh, question to answer because there are so many tops. 
because it's a really diverse audience and it's, it's, you know, coming, people are coming from all walks of life and all neighborhoods and, and, you know, even from all around the world. Yeah. And because we're opening buildings that are from, you know, the 17th century to the 21st century, the things that you might think are going to be the most popular or the, or the most sought after, um, or, or even maybe a better way to put this, the things that you don't think people will respond to as much mm-hmm. because they're not you know, new and hip and high profile, those things are equally mm-hmm. um, sought after. And so the, the audience so what, what is big surpri- enough. What surprised you this year? No one thought of it this way except me, but we had sort of an Army-Navy rivalry going on because we had the Brooklyn Navy Yard open mm-hmm. and we had the Brooklyn Army Terminal open. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, both were, you know, wildly well attended, Mm -hmm. um, and just filled with people. And, and so not surprising, but to go there and to actually see both of those sites, you know, filled with, you know, quite literally thousands of people, Mm -hmm. um, walking around, experiencing, you know, many different types of spaces and buildings, um, and engaging with the city and you and you just look at the people who are there and you're like, who are all of you people? You're just like, yeah. where do you come from? And, and um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really sort of a, a wonderful sight to see. I saw somewhere that you had a wish to go to the the top of the Chrysler building. Mm-hmm. Have you been able no. to do? <laughs> Why wouldn't they do that? It's for sale now. Why don't I you? know? I should go. Yeah. I should go as a potential buyer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Make a nice bid. <laughs> and by the way, I have fifty friends here who would like to check it out. Yeah. Now you said somewhere we went from an organization being about pretty buildings to looking at some of the most serious issues in the city and yeah. exploring them through land use and planning. So. This was something that was then added to what was already there when you came here. That's how I understood this. Yeah, in part. I mean, you know, and not to dismiss pretty buildings by any means, because, um, you know, that is very much, you know, we want to promote good design. um, And Open House New York Weekend, in part, was always about getting you to go to parts of the city and opening up things that you wouldn't otherwise see. Mm. Um, I think about the things that we're looking at, for lack of a better word, curating a series of programs that are meant to add up to something more. We used to think about it, and I guess we still do partly, is that Open House New York Weekend, which opens up hundreds of sites across the whole city, that is sort of skimming the surface, and you're getting to, to taste lots of different places and get a sense of you know, many different kinds of buildings. Mm. And throughout the rest of the year, what we're doing is going in-depth into specific topics and issues. You know, I think the the series that best exemplifies that is what we call our Urban System Series, where we take a year's worth of programming and look at a single thematic issue that has some significance to the future of the city. So mm-hmm. we started around um, the issue of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And... And what's exciting about these series is that they are looking at spaces that are not always really thought of as architecture, and they're certainly not thought of as capital A architecture. But what we decided for Open House New York is that our mandate is really to look at anything physical in the city. Mm-hmm. You know, if, it's, it has, if, it, if it has been designed, 
we can look at it yeah. and we can bring people to it and we can have a conversation, use it to catalyze conversation. Manufacturing at that point in 2014, um, the new, the, the then new mayor, de Blasio um, had just started and there was a, you know, a big debate about the working class in New York City and equity and that manufacturing is a really important vehicle for sustaining a working class in New York City. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do was to say, well, what does, the, what does 21st century manufacturing look like in New York? Um, what is the space, where is it happening, and what does it look like? And so we spent a year opening up different kinds of factories and production spaces and getting people inside to say, this is, this is what it looks like. Mm. And maybe we should rethink uh, outdated zoning rules that have an idea of manufacturing that it's you know, the smelly, noxious smokestack. Yeah. And, which still exists, and, but in large part, all of that kind of manufacturing, we have sent, as a country, we have sent overseas to someplace else. That's right, yeah. Um, and that the manufacturing that is still here in New York City, in a lot of cases, not entirely, but in a lot of cases, is, you know, it's really, it's pristinely clean. Um, it's very green. So it was to bring people in, and again, it's like nothing, Nothing substitutes for firsthand experience and to see it for yourself. Mm -hmm. It is, it, and this is not me, this is, you know, the neuroscientists and, and others. It is the most powerful form of education and engagement. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to use this platform and look at these big issues. And so we started with manufacturing and criminal justice, food systems. And this year we're looking at transportation because. Um, if you are in New York City, you know the transportation and the transit system is everyone's number one, <laughs> <laughs> number one topic. Exactly. You know, for good reason. Yeah. So it's you know how can we participate and and fuel those conversations and give people education information. So that means that you have then a year-around program underneath the umbrella of yeah. this. So you have different activities like yeah. discussions or site visits and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. And so how, who decides this? Is it, is it the board who says, it's like a <laughs> say this is what we're going to do? Or mm -hmm. is it with your members? Or how, how does that process... Uh... You know, when we started, it was me. <laughs> because when I showed up you here, decided. I decided. And, the, and on day one, it yes. It was much better than that. That was a better right. time. It was easier that way. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's not, it's not just me anymore. But in the beginning, it was when we were creating the, the series and creating the, the new programming, yes, it was like, oh, I think we should do this. Now it's, you know, when we decide to look at topics, um, it usually comes to us either inspired by the previous series mm -hmm. or because somebody has come to us or because somebody in our orbit has read something or is fired up about something or because it is just in the news and we can't avoid it. And so, you know, when we started with manufacturing, it was because of, you know, we were reading what was going on in the news around the de Blasio administration, how important manufacturing was. Mm -hmm. And the one area of manufacturing that was growing, and I think may still be growing in New York City, is food manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But we decided, okay, well, food is such a big issue on its own. Uh, let's make food its own series. And so we were like, we're just gonna look at, everything non-food manufacturing this year, and then we're gonna do food next year. So we did an entire year, year's worth looking at food systems, which also looked at how food um, and food experiences were being used in new real estate development, like food halls and, mm -hmm. and other kinds of unique food experiences. 
when the governor declared a state of emergency for the New York City subway system, and that you know that summer it was like New York City cannot function without a a, a healthy transit system. Discussions among the staff and at the board level were like, okay, let's do an entire year on around mm -hmm. transportation. Do you document this in, in, a, in a sense that uh, it, it, it ends up in some kind of, uh, I don't know, presentation or proposal or, I mean, at some point here there's a lot of input, so there's, there's a lot of knowledge that comes Absolutely. up to the surface and, and maybe that should go somewhere. Absolutely. And the short answer is sort of no. <laughs> the, we, we definitely want to. Yeah. Um, and we have lots of recordings and documentation that is just waiting to, you know, something to be done with. Yeah. Um, we did a year's worth of programming around New York City's waste system. Mm -hmm. um, and we were probably most successful during that year where we created some original digital content. We documented the programs very well. Yeah. Um, you know, what I have been thinking now that we are in our fifth year or fifth iteration of the series is thinking about how they all add up together because mm -hmm. each one of them on its own has been really, like as you said, it's been an incredible amount of knowledge. Yeah. And and I'm now what I'm thinking is how do we, you know, this has been a multi-year project that was not conceived as maybe one thing, but maybe all of this adds up to something like a book. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned. So the Open House <laughs> New York is sort of an organization founded by this British woman in London, Victoria yes. Thornton, in mm -hmm. 1992. Yes. And then it spread to New York in 2001, 2003. Yep. Partly as a reaction to the 9-11 events and the need to open up the city. and. You also have Open House America, so there are other cities also, but not that many. Chicago, right. uh, San Diego, and Monterey. Atlanta. Atlanta? Okay. Yep. So how does that work on that level? Are you mostly focused on New York, or do you... We're focused you only on New York. Yeah. And when we talk about Open House worldwide and these other international cities, we're specifically talking about this one weekend a year mm -hmm. event. As you said, it started in 1992 in London, and Victoria Thornton uh, was somebody like many of us who walks around the city and wants to, always is wondering, you know, what was what's inside that door. And it existed only in London for 10 years. Um, but there was a New York architect, Scott Lauer, who was living and working there and, and volunteering for Open House London, comes back to New York in the summer, the summer of 2001 um, and says, there's this thing happening in London, we should, we should do that here. And he, long story short, he decides to create Open House New York to create Open House New York weekend. Then September 11th happens, and that weekend event takes on much more significance, as you said. This is the beauty of it. The way I understand the story is that there was a, a Tel Aviv architect in New York City in October 2003, coincidentally stumbled into Open House New York weekend. He was here on vacation. He goes back, and it was either Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, goes back to Israel and goes to his city and says, there's this great thing happening in New York. We should do that here. Yeah. So this process sort of multiplies. And so that's what they did. And they, they run those two cities either simultaneously or together you know, under the same organization. And from there, other cities and other people took notice. Each city that does an open house weekend, it comes from within the city. And so mm -hmm. it has to be 
started by residents and locals. They yeah. organize it, they manage it. We form a loose consortium called Open House Worldwide. Mm -hmm. And there's a website where people can see all the dates and all the cities that are participating. But each city is completely independent of the next. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, we just we agree to a sort of shared set of values and I practices. You know, just one more mm -hmm. point about the Open House Worldwide, what mm -hmm. I think is encouraging to me, and I think to all of us who are doing this work, is that if you read the news really anywhere, there is there could be a narrative of the world is closing itself off. It, you know, it, it's all about borders and boundaries and, mm -hmm. and restricted access. I look to the open house platform to think, well, at least there's this, if you want, there is this countervailing story of all of these cities um, from the grassroots are organizing an event that is completely about openness mm -hmm. and free access and you know, welcoming, celebrating both their city and the people in it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's you know there there are sort of positive moments you know happening around the world. It's very important. Yes. In this in the world we're living in. Uh, I have one question: You have a lot of volunteers. How do you mm -hmm. manage all of those? Twelve hundred people. It's like herding cats. I mean, uh, <laughs> how do you? How do you communicate? How do you, how do you get hold of them? How do you? So how do they know what to do? Well, we start off. We had fifteen hundred uh, volunteers register this year, and I think then we had even more on a wait list that we ultimately pulled in. So yeah. we are talking, and we're from like fifteen to sixteen hundred individuals. We don't really do much recruitment. I mean, to get that number of people, mm -hmm. and we're doing this. We announced the re volunteer registration in August, which mm -hmm. is you know a dead time anywhere but we can get 1,500 people signed up who either word of mouth or just because they want to be a part of Open House New York Weekend. So yeah. that right there is just amazing to me. And, and they're you know, an incredible group of people mm. you know, from all walks of life and who bring you know, many different talents and, and kinds of expertise. Uh, herding cats is a generous way of putting it. Uh, it is you know, whenever you have 1,500 People, it is a you know a monumental task. I can only imagine. We have a, a volunteer coordinator, a single person who comes in that we hire uh, in the summer, and that one individual basically has sole responsibility for assigning uh, volunteers to all the different shifts, hmm. um, communicating with them, making sure they know where they're supposed to go. As a staff, we we provide an orientation. Um, in the lead up to Open House New York weekend. But really the volunteer coordinator, who each year, like Knockwood, we have found the most special, perfect person um, to do that. And a lot of emails, um, a lot of emails. Mm. But a lot of phone calls, a lot of people stopping in, a lot of communication. Um. So when do you feel like, uh, I mean, that was maybe one point in your, in your working life here that makes you really happy about what you're doing because mm -hmm. you can really see mm -hmm. what this organization means yeah. to the public, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you measure the impact that you have? Does the board say, are we doing better or are we mm -hmm. doing worse? I mean, how do you come to grip with right. getting a sense of where this ship is, is sailing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's a hard question. The easy... The easy thing to do is to look at numbers. Mm -hmm. So, but it's also the deceptive thing because numbers don't tell really the whole story. So, yes, the first thing we'll do is we will compare this year to last year 
and and both you know for our weekend event, but also year long. And so, how many people did we you know have come to programs? Yeah. I mean, that's a very like easy, blunt number, you know, or metric of of effectiveness. The hard thing to measure is how have you changed somebody's thinking or how have you changed the relationship to the city? That is a very hard thing to measure. <laughs> we can do it anecdotally mm. and I definitely, you know, I definitely use people's feedback um, and take it very seriously and a lot of that feedback happens in casual encounters while, I'm, while we're, we're waiting for a program to start. Yeah. Somebody will come up to me and say, I just want you to know I was at this program or I was at this tour and it was the most amazing thing and it has made me think about this whatever very differently. Yeah. It's one person. I can't, you know, I can't I take I take it very seriously and it means a lot to me but and and I definitely repeat those stories. But I understand that it's hard to use one person's experience mm -hmm. um, as a metric for the entire audience. You know, and conversely, we people, especially New Yorkers, have no problem at all telling us when they are not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and those are really hard to hear. Um, it's hard to measure that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, do we see our programs showing up in the news or covered by the media? I mean, mm -hmm. that's one measure as yeah. well. But the, the ones that actually mean the most to me are the when people talk to me yeah. and, or talk to the staff, any of us, and share their experiences because that's when, you know, it's really at that level where you're like, okay, because mm. as long as, we, I know it's not just one person, but if, if we really affect it one person's thinking, mm -hmm. then it's sort of all worth it. Yeah. No, you're absolutely yeah. right about that. So people who listen to this uh, podcast here and this interview uh, and they want to get involved in one way or the other what would be the best first step for them we'd call you right <laughs> <laughs> that clog, would be clog the last up your step <laughs> i would recommend <laughs> call gregory his phone or, uh, yeah i'm putting my phone on hold <laughs> <laughs> um, the, you know the first step is to go to our website i would mm -hmm. say ohmy.org.org yeah. uh, and check out check out us and look at our programming, look at the things that we've done, look at the programs that we have scheduled that are coming up um, and see if it is of interest, see if it speaks to you. Um, we have a, a membership, so like you would join a museum and you get mm -hmm. you know different benefits. Um, there's an open house New York membership that you could join. We have you know somewhere in the range of 1,400 members. Mm -hmm. um, they either get you know, early access or, or early notice about programs, free admission to things. Um, so there's a, a membership program that they could join, um, volunteering for Open House New York Weekend. I mean, that's now 11 months away, but, um, you know, never too soon to check out what it means to be a volunteer for the weekend. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about the Hudson Yards? <clears throat> Well, long pause. <laughs> I should have gotten up and walked away when I had the chance. <laughs> Officially speaking, we we are not an advocacy organization, and we do not um, offer strong opinions about any developments. You know, yeah. we see our role as being about public education and engagement, 
and over the years, we have we have we have done construction tours of Hudson Yards of different parts of it, so that the public could see what it was like as it was being built. We have not um, done anything since it opened, and that was really um, by related choice. They just did not want to um, do tours of the of the project, which is completely their you know their choice. Um, it can be disruptive. Um, but you know, if it had been up to us, we would have done tours and let people in to see it and given the designers a chance to talk about what they had done. Obviously, if you read the news, it has not been well received by you know the critical establishment and by many New Yorkers. It's very you know, um, I was gonna say well attended, but it's you know a lot of people go there and and it's always crowded. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll say it's not finished. I think we need to remember that. Uh, half of it is still yet to be built. Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, and I say this personally, um, I do think the the way the project relates to its immediate surroundings was not the most successful mm -hmm. in terms of like opening itself up um, to the avenues. Um, it's a big insertion. The city needs time to absorb it to sort of rough it up a little bit, mm -hmm. soften the edges maybe. Yeah. There, there, you know, maybe there will be changes over time. I mean, I often think of Battery Park City, which was not sort of a, I mean, dissimilar in, in its ultimate use and, and the, the, the mix of buildings. Um, but you know, Battery Park City, when it was, took a long time to finish. Um, and it took a long time to age into the city, and I think mm -hmm. it's getting there, and it's been how many decades at this point? Yeah. So I think the people are absolutely right to sort of be critical if they think it's important because people should express their opinions. You know, there's a lot legitimate criticisms to express. I also think the city takes time to make, and yeah. so um, it's something that we should you know, keep an eye on. Well, it's interesting when you talk about the vessel, for instance, and people yeah. are having all, all sorts of viewpoints on it, and, and, and you think about the Eiffel Tower, that was also... Right, you know, I mean, everyone hated the Eiffel like, Tower. Exactly, and, and, and maybe this can become something. But there is something there, though, that, uh, at least in my point of view, uh, lacks a human aspect of it. I, I went to one of these food, food courts in Brooklyn the other day, and down in the basement there, and I thought it was pretty cool, actually. I think I, mean, I was, live above that. Yeah. Oh, you at DeKalb Market. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's, it a, I, it's on Flatbush. Somewhere. Yeah, that's, I yeah. live upstairs. And I, and I had a friend there, and I walked around and said, you know what, this is, this is actually quite cozy here. Yeah. I mean, it's rough, and, you know, but it's like narrow streets in a medieval yeah. city, you know, transplanted into Brooklyn now. You know. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd rather have that than shiny steel and, uh, you know, just uh, and those Swiss watches. What, and come. what you just described are two choices that were made about how to design those spaces. Yeah. And they were, you know, with the Cal Market, if, I'm assuming this is what you're talking about, we... We actually interviewed the the woman who was the mastermind behind that as part of our food system series. And design was very much, you know, a consideration of how wide those aisles were going to be, how the each booth was going to be positioned, yeah. the use of neon, mm -hmm. you know, all of that. All of those were design decisions that make that feel, you know, maybe a little bit medieval <laughs> might be a little bit of a stretch. I love that description, but. 
Um, but yeah, and I think that's what people are, are reacting against at Hudson Yards is that the scale of it, I mean, it's vast, it's a windswept plaza. Yeah. Um, it's, it feels a little brittle because it's just so much glass and... Yeah, it's just the, 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 the tone of it yeah. is luxury. Yeah. And there is more to life than that. And why, where, where do we end up if we just are chasing luxury and, and that the luxury will feel, make us feel great about mm -hmm. ourselves? I mean, there are other things. And I think that in that plaza where they have the vessel, they should have opened it up like a French cafe or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, but anyway. I'm not an urban planner. Well, and so, that, so that's what I'm saying is that now it's the city's job to take it and make it its own. Yeah. Know, to maybe if it needs to be roughed up a little bit or, or to, you know, downplay the luxury or to just like, yeah. you know, or, you know, with the vessel, you know, to make it into that thing that, that may transform it one day into a, a beloved icon like the Eiffel Tower. It's oh, like I, cities I, have a way of working on places yeah. to absorb and... and I, I think it will, it will, it will yeah. get there, but in the meantime, I, it seems like it's rough uh, going. But yeah. it was so interesting because I was there on a tour and I said, why do we have all these Swiss watchmakers here? There should be like a French bistro or mm -hmm. something connecting the building to the, the, the squares. But no, no, they can't have that. I mean, imagining the rent that they pay. But, but that is a value statement, <laughs> yeah. you know? Instead yeah, yeah, of saying... Those rents are very low because we want to accommodate this uh, sort of to, right, to human interaction. A street life. Yeah, exactly. Or, or street or life is a good Plaza life. Jane Jacobs, yeah. Have a little bit of Jane Jacobs poured into Hudson Yards. Right. So instead, they took that and put it up into the very top of, of that building where it's this, you know, where you have to take all the escalators to get up to the food. Yeah. And, th and this, was, this was really you know, something in our food series that we were really interested in looking at is like how food creates urban space yeah. and an urban experience yeah you know you don't think about you think about the food i'm like what am i eating but you don't think about the very fact that we have created a space for this social interaction to take place and what do the tables look like oh. and you know all of those choices yeah. you know can make a space successful or unsuccessful so what's what's coming up so what's on your to-do list uh, well so our year we we work on a calendar year for yeah. the most part um, and Open House Weekend in October is the, the, the sort of crescendo. And now on the to-do list is we're looking at 2020 and our transportation series will continue. We're doing a, a year-long series that will launch in probably spring of 2020, looking at, the, at libraries mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. library system and understanding how institution and this building type that people thought would become obsolete with the advent of the internet has now actually, you know, become even more important um, and has become a, you know, a critical civic space. And, you know, we're looking at how it's been redesigned, but also idea about like spaces for knowledge and how they've been reinvented in light of, the, uh, you know, technology and, and the internet. We do an ongoing series called Projects in Planning that looks at high profile projects that are in their early stages of development. So. Mm -hmm. Things like the Mid Manhattan Library, coincidentally, we did earlier this year, mm -hmm. um, or LaGuardia Airport, um, and so we'll be planning, you know, a series of of those talks for um, beginning in early 2020. Wonderful. Yeah. So you seem to have your your. your we have our work cut out for us. <laughs> this is never a so, quiet moment. But I, I'm very happy <laughs> about that because you are playing a very important role here, and that is to, to bring people into the city and vice versa, if, yeah. if you could say it that way. But it's just to get people to understand 
the, the where we live in this urban environment and how they also can influence things. Absolutely, and you know, learn and influence and and uh, foster the conversation, yeah. the discussion. So, I mean, we genuinely believe that there's nothing more important. I mean, this is everything. This is yeah. you know where we live, where we work, where we educate ourselves. Yeah, it touches on every aspect of what it means to be human. And so, you know, whatever we can do to make these spaces and this sort of entire environment, yeah. you know, better, it's, you know, we should all be a it's part of important. that. Well, congratulations yeah. to your to your success. And, and you. uh, I loved being at that TWA and I will follow you very closely. Good. And, and more to come. come. More to come. Well, thank you so much for, thank you. for doing this interview. Yeah, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. This is Art Insiders New York. My name is Anders Holst. Thank you for listening and be sure to visit www.artinsidersnewyork.com to join the conversation and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the Art Insiders New York podcast, head over to iTunes, if you're not already there, to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It is very much appreciated. Thank you. This episode was produced by UOM LLC Copyright 2019.